0: Welcome to the Meru Media Podcast. Today, we're joined by, as always, a special guest, uh, Professor, or more appropriately, achad guest, Dhaneshwar Bimulsana. He is a professor in a, uh, San Diego State University in the Religious Studies Department. But he's got a very unique upbringing, uh, upbringing compared to many of the people that have joined our show over the past you know, couple of years. Um, Acharya Ji, that's how he likes to be preferred because it's, it's a more traditional name and he earned that title, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and, uh, he comes from, he's, he's not Indian, he's Nepalese and he comes from a very traditional um, gurukula background, ashram background and moving from that into sort of, um, you know, Western academia background must have was a very interesting journey. So, Staneshwarji uh, is an expert in um, Tantra, Advaita, and uh, Aminava and kind of, I would say, given the fact that his life has been dedicated entirely to the Shastras and and to studying Hindu texts, um, or even Buddhist texts, for that matter, um, he is an expert almost in all these areas. Um, and he's got a very strong background in, uh, in Western academia, Western philosophy, too. So, Staneshwarji, Acharya, please welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Mukunda, for having me.
0: So, um, you know, uh, just to, to get a preliminary thing out, um, out of the way, um, Staneshwarji is also an Acharya to me. He has uh, um, been teaching me Samkhya, uh, uh, Karika, along with Yukti Deepika in a traditional way. We had to take a little hiatus because we spent some time working on yoga vashishta um, for his class, uh, which he just finished conducting. Um, if you want, you can also check his class out on, on uh, Facebook uh, uh, as part of his uh, foundation called Viv Marsha. Um, but uh, before we get into all of that, um, Acharya G, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your background is and where you came from and how you came here?
1: Oh, this is a, a multiple life journey, Mukunda, because it, it's like a, we just finished Yoga Vasishtha in which these characters uh, undergo a multiple life, tr- life streams in a single life. And yeah. oftentimes I find myself as one of those characters because, uh, because the, the, the romantic and, and mesmerizing and harrowing experiences that I have been through uh, doesn't uh, doesn't suffice to say all I gained in one lifetime?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, just to begin with, uh, I'm born and raised in Nepal, in in a village called Hading. Uh, and uh, it's a district, uh, uh, Nalang, a particular village which I, where I was born, uh, in a Pandit family, and uh, for as long as uh, we can go. Um, my uh, ancestors had been teachers um, and uh, I have uh, many of their handwritten manuscripts still in my collection. And uh, uh, so uh, some of the manuscripts uh, may be dating back to four or 500 years. And uh, when uh, I was growing up, uh, the the old style Gurukula, uh, at least a remnant of it, uh, I would say was still alive. And one of the uh, greatest dreams of my father was to keep that Gurukula alive. And uh, uh, so I grew up with uh, my siblings and also some Gurukula mates, because the way Gurukula worked in the villages is we would have uh, like a land. And uh, so there would be more or less like a barn house, you can say. Mm Uh, Easy build and uh, 10 to 15, 20 students, not like a huge crowd. And uh, um, they would stay there. They would eat with us uh, uh, or sometimes maybe they would cook separate. And uh, um, uh, they would would work during the day afternoon. The study would begin maybe like five in the morning. And uh, they're just like... uh, couple hours, four hours of study and something and then maybe four hours of work. And then in the evening, there's a, a sort of a memorizing time and then also giving back like the returning like a homework time. So, so
0: when you say four hours of work in the day, what do you mean by that? Is it like um, physical because, work?
1: Yeah, physical work, actually working in the farm, and they oh. grow whatever they eat, you see. And they 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 uh, they are part of the family, part of working together. We are. I'm also working. It's not like they are the workers. Yeah. So it's it's we collectively work and collective. There never was more than enough to eat, you know. So we we all we all grow and corn and 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 maize and whatever, you know. And then we eat. So they don't so work if, for. Yeah. If yeah. I
0: can ask, um, so you you see your classmates were they from local villages or were yeah, yeah, they yeah, from local, the same yeah. village or?
1: Uh, okay. Same and the nearby villages and the, 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 the type of structures were always there. Every village would have some pundits and then it's just like whatever, two people, four people, 10, 10 people, doesn't matter. It never was like hundreds of his students type use huge, you know, more structured gurukula in the villages. And that's basically why when I was 12, my father said, look, son, uh, I can't give you anything much, but I let you go. So you should... You should go. You are brilliant, and and you should you should launch chastras. So kind of he released me basically. So, so I, yeah.
0: So I mean, I'm very interested in the Gurukula because I, I think it's a uh, l- lot of people don't know. Like it, there's a, a, you know it's idealized many way in 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 how people think about it. But mm-hmm. it, I you know it'd be really interesting to get a sense of like what it was for you. I mean, so what would they teach in Gurukula? Would they teach math, so, science, um, or
1: what? Uh, um, it's a, it's a kind of my own father was not like one of those great top tier pundits. Mm-hmm. So there are different types of no formal structure gurukula because when a guru says he's certified to do so, his word is the certificate, like a degree. So in ours, we would get anybody from age eight or above and maybe 15, 16, 18. And then uh, depending on how intensely they want to study, either they would have to go to uh, specialized teachers and like uh, uh, in our our fathers, they would learn basic mathematics, like uh, so that they are able to do jyotish, basic jyotish, because that was required for even naming a baby or uh, knowing the horoscope for marriage. And so basic ritual level jyotish. And then all the Karmakandhas. So every day to, you know, monthly or yearly round calendrical rituals, arranging maize, like uh, rituals. So all types of rituals, Agnisthapana, like uh, how to, so the rituals, chanting the Vedas and basic grammar, Paninis grammar. So these were the basic things. And then uh, doing Puranas, those kind of things were not part of the course, but they could learn that on their own. So I mean, was this parallel to regular schools? So how did it we work? We didn't the- have any. We didn't have any regular schools those days, Mukunda. And then those regular English schools were replacing. So what happened? The older Gurukula structures—they were more formal type Gurukulas—and mm-hmm. then they were uh, the government with this new education policy was rooting it out, rooting all, all those traditional formal schools out, and uh, the the. Traditional uh, structures were taken control by the government for modern English education, and and the uh, and the villages were trying to keep it alive by this type of structure. So, mm. in in my grandfather's generation, the school structures, even the Gurukula, would be different than mm. the way I I was I I saw. And then in my generation, uh, there were two choices: either like me, go to big town and have a formal education, get a degree or go to now then renowned pundits, wherever they are, like in Nyaya. And they they are like, a, just to give you an example, uh, three plus years ago when my mother died and mm-hmm. I was in a village and uh, I was in Devgat and um, somebody from a remote area whom he swears, I mean, of course he's true, he, He had met me something almost like 40 years ago or so. I must have been like a little kid and I I have no recollection. And uh, um, this man uh, never had any proper job. And, you know, he just went to village, is growing corn and, you know, like um, cattle hoarding. And then, um, and he just came for, uh, just expressing condolences to my father, making like a long trip. You know, they were (laughs) friends like in a, Connected from my uh, my grandpa, you know, like sure, they were sure. in my my grandfather's Gurukula. Yeah, and and so I got a little glimpse of uh, the the other side. This pandit was more knowledgeable than, sorry, my own father. And then when uh, uh, when uh, uh, we were introduced, he asked me what I've studied on Nyaya, and then I'm like, uh, it's like, what am I gonna? I'm sorry, my arrogance, like. This village pandit, what am I going to tell him? Oh my gosh. I said, I've read the uh, Tarka Sangraha. And then he said, yes, have you read any? and then Muktavali. Yeah, yeah, Muktavali, you read OK, what else did you? And then, Lakshani. Oh, you got that? And then, OK, uh, Siddhanta Lakshanam. No kidding. Did you get that? And then, uh, Shaktivada. Now, he looks a little serious. And I say Vidhpati Vada. And now, okay. Now he raises this long phrase from the Siddhanta Lakshana, and then gives me Vyati, which means like a reverse logic, which is a, a sort of a, a, a determining the propan on the basis of negation, which requires like a twelve degrees of uh, you know limitations, which we yeah. call i Unlike, unlike shocked. I'm, I'm really shocked because this man is just a village man. You know, he he would be in the modern world if he was trained in Western logic in that same depth. He would be one of the best, you know, maybe analytical philosophers in, in the modern West. And all he, all he has done in his life is cowherding. And, and not that I'm regretting because he was so happy because for him, these studies never meant to get some occupation, some degree, some ego, you know, or to write books and have a name. You know, these are all modern Western uh, productions. For him, study was for the sake of study, and if anybody came to study with him, he would teach. Traditionally, pandits were either rich enough to have their own farm, so they would not require any endowment, and when they were not, and then the nearby, you know, families. Like even here, I mean, I'm not running any guru kula, but if I get five, seven friends coming around, uh, my my support group, let us say support yeah. team here would take care of it. You know, I I have that confidence that uh, I'm I'm simply trying to maybe you know preserve some of the the, the fabrics of this lost uh, strand, and, right. and, and and it is it is awesome beyond the construction of the ego, the money, the name, and. And I, I just like I was just amazed. I just wanted to share. How old were you at that time? I mean, at the time when uh, I had met him before, yeah. I remember, like maybe I was like 9, 10. You so you've read
0: all these books at 9 and 10?
1: No, no, no. This guy, when yeah. I met before. I mean, like uh, when I met this man three years ago. OK. okay. One I said. But I read this book. I started reading at the age of 16, these books. And I continue to read even today. You know, like even even this day, I yeah. do consult one of my teachers, vidyanath He's both my Tantra teacher and naya teacher, and I, I do consult him more or less on a weekly basis. So I do still study with him. He's he, eighty six years old. You know what's interesting
0: to me? It seems like uh, the uh, Ashrama system, the or the Gurukul system, was uh, almost like a Montessori style of school. Right, because you're like, you're working with your hands, you're learning text, you're learning grammar, you're learning basic science through like farming and engaging in math. And it's much more, it seems like it's much more multi uh, sensory than simply just sitting down and writing.
1: I know many people today who go to boarding schools and colleges and IITs and, you know, um, they might feel strange, which I, I really want them to feel. And I have these two snippets from, I live in San Diego, Rancho Bernardo, yeah. and the two snippets from why this knowledge uh, supersedes this modern Western contemporary knowledge. Hmm. I, I apologize if, if this example offends anybody. I have this guy who earns a minimum three times more than I as a, as a professor of San Diego State do. Hmm and I invite him to my house, a really wonderful engineer, you know, and then show him around my backyard, my front yard. All I have to show is my plants. Oh my gosh, look at this plant and look at this fruit tree and look at that fruit tree. This is tomato and this is like, and then he looks at me, Timal Sinaji, I have seen all the fruit trees, but I have never seen a carrot tree. Have you seen one? Makunda, I'm not even kidding. And then that time, I just didn't know what to say. But, but I, didn't make, I didn't theorize that experience. Because yeah, yeah. One, one event is not enough. So one month ago, just one month ago, what happened? Another gentleman, different person from the same profession, of course, yeah. came to my house. Again, I'm idiotically showing around with my pride, all the plants. He got totally excited with a vine. He asked me, "What is this vine?" I said, "It's a pumpkin vine." So, do pumpkins grow here? And I said, "Look, in Nepal, we even cut the tip of top of the vine and cook them like stir fry them." Yeah. Of course, you have to take off the external skin, you know. Yeah. And then cook them, and then when the pumpkin grows, and then we also eat the pumpkin. And he, the next question he asked. Then do you dig out the pumpkins, <laughs> like potatoes or sweet potatoes? You know, no, not, no, we do not dig out the pumpkins. Pumpkins actually grow out. Yeah. So, so I I really think that in this over mechanization of education, yeah, many many people which may feel strange, but I am now thinking that it is not just one exception. No. Of uh, uh, there are many people who have been totally separated from the nature. They are growing up in these boarding schools inside, and they well, are in the city, right? Yeah, even yeah, city. in in big cities where yeah. there is no farming happening, and they only are exposed to the fr- food, you know, or fruits, all they they want. And many people don't even see vegetables in the form they grow because they are they are only. See the cooked ones, you know? Yeah.
0: I mean, I think the only reason I have, to be honest, uh, I have any sense of vegetables and fruits and stuff is because when we're young, my parents, my mom, had a garden in the back, right? So, to to that extent, right? I'm not like knowledgeable. I I don't know how to farm properly. I don't know how to milk a cow. I've done it once. It was weird to me, but, you know, it's (laughs) a, it's, you know, it's a, it, it is something. I, I I will have to say, it's. I mean, this has been longer with us than you know these modern cities have, right? The ability to farm, to engage with the land, to have a relationship with the land more so than ownership. You know, ownership was part of it, but it was yeah, a relationship, yeah. right? Which I think yeah. we've kind of I lost.
1: Mean, to, to really understand, land ownership also, Mukunda, you touched upon another issue, that yeah. when I was uh, maybe five years old when my father purchased a big land in which we had that Gurukula and all. Yeah. Um, I vividly remember the conversation of the sense of the guilt and, and uh, uh, of course there was a monetary exchange, yeah. not a lot, but then he used to, um, the guy who sold the land to us, used yeah. to come to our house every year as a special guest. And we always prepare fruit basket, food basket for him in honor, like a, so my father also agreed modern laws. And of course you have to buy somebody's land, but also ethically, he never said, he never accepted that he purchased. So he asked him to donate. So, uh, so he, I mean, he gave the money and he still accepted as yeah. donation. And then always he considered him in a, not in a legal sense but in a moral sense like a, like a landlord, you know a oh, patron yeah saying. yeah yeah patron so yeah, that, can... uh, And up till my grandfather's generation, land was abundant, and in the villages land ownership was not big enough issue. like if somebody resisted, I just want to grow here, nobody cared but yeah. otherwise people were moving. So nomadic life was not over because uh, how do I know that? Is when I asked my dad, I before the house where I was born, I want to go to see the house of my grandpa. And then my dad gave this kind of very weird concept. I mean, it's strange for me that even up till my grandfather's generation, um, it was okay to move, you know, your herd from like a nearby village to other. They were not migrating far, but yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were like semi nomadic even up till that generation.
0: So I mean, I mean is, is this because all the land is owned by the king and the king gives grants or periods or yeah, why is that
1: yes there are some land like a prime kind of land and and there are like deeds and the kings given but there are other like uh, other type of uh, half agricultural type land where people grow one season only and the rest of the seasons left to you know uh, for the wild and yeah um, so some lands particularly in major towns had a clear cut ownership and in some in mostly village styles uh, the ownership where the government land begins and where the private land ends was not very clear cut
0: i see now now when you were in gurukul uh, what was the medium of your study was it in uh...
1: mixed mixed language sanskrit or nepalese and, and when I went to Benares, for example, the same either Sanskrit or Hindi, and I do not more or less the same, although Benares uh, where Sampudananda Sanskrit of that is where I got my Acharya degree from. Yeah. And uh, so this, uh, um, um, even there, although this modern university structure has taken over, all these teachers are paid uh, by the uh, government, uh, but the... But the remnant of old Guru Kula is still alive. If I, if I can share you like a quick, sure, session. my first day in Sampunananda, and again, this Guruji is still alive, and he's maybe like a, I don't know 87 or something. And um, I, I ask anybody who listens to this to, to, to convey my greetings to or try to communicate. He's a legend, Ranji yeah. Malaviya. His son, uh, Nandan Malaviya, is, is still online available on Facebook, and we are, we are kind of we grew up like brothers. So, yeah. uh, so although he's a professor, okay, and he was also pro-chancellor for the university. but uh, because he grew up in Gurukula, and as soon as he met me, and when he got the chance to feel me, yeah. I, he let me become a part of a family. So I ate most of the time in his house. Mm-hmm. So the first day, uh, we were really acquainted in his classroom. He's teaching in university. And then I asked a bunch of questions and then he asked me to just keep quiet and then just to walk with him after the class. And then I just kept quiet and then he come to my house and I'm like freaking out. Oh, my gosh, what did I do wrong? Maybe I offended the very first day, you know,
0: yeah. and
1: then um, his house. His professor's quarter was not far. Uh, it was it was right next, and then um, when we in, and then he sat in this mat, you know the the rope bed. Yeah. And then he said, "From tomorrow, you are not coming to campus." And I thought, "Oh my gosh, I'm expelled!" Just like that. <laughs> 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 and he said, "Instead, you just come here and eat with me, and then I'll teach you here instead." And, wow. and then <laughs> that is it. And so <laughs> so uh, um, because he, I, and it was not just me. There were like three, four other students that he cared like that. The yeah. others were like, he would say, the others are for a job. You know, they just want some scholarship or something. They are not going to get it. They'll are, they are just waste my time. Right. But, but you guys should learn thoroughly. So that is how it was kind of semi-structured, you know? Yeah, it's interesting.
0: Um, uh, because I had a similar experience, not with Acharya. So when I was studying Sanskrit in, um, in Delhi in 2000, so I was studying under um, this professor by the name of Prane Singh, um, who was a professor of linguistics there. Uh, and I think he studied at Harvard under, I don't know, Engels or someone like that, someone, someone big at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, the same thing happened to me. So I, I was in class, in such a good class with him, and in class generally. He invited me over to his house one day, and I had dinner with him and his family. And then he said, from now on, just come here, and I'll I'll teach you what I
1: want. No, that's, that's how it goes.
0: Yeah, I didn't know if it was because I was so bad, and he was like, I need to get more attention, or if it was like, he thought it was uh, something to, you know, to spend more time on. So we did that for about a year, so that was very... It's a it was it was a very beautiful experience because I would but I, I would go in the morning, so when I lived there, I would go in the mornings for music class in uh-huh. Kanat place and then spend an hour and a half music and then go straight to Sanskrit for two, three hours, and then do the rest of my university classes
1: afterwards. Wow. Wow. So I mean with Pandit Braswell of Divedi, he was already retired when I went to Benares yeah. in eighty-five. And and still when I went and introduced myself to him. He should come over and, you know, every evening for four plus years, yeah. um, more or less five or six days a week, we, um, I studied with him, you know, so, wow. and, and there's no payment tuition. I mean, those concepts didn't even occur to our mind. So,
0: so like you were in Gurukul at your father's place until 12. Yeah. And you, then where did you go after that?
1: I went to Kathmandu. And then there is a Sanskrit, more or less a modern gurukula. Like, it's not a gurukula gurukula se because it offers all the modern degrees, but it teaches all the disciplines of Sanskrit. No, but was it, how far was your village from uh, Kathmandu? Uh, Those days, Mukunda, I had to walk for about six hours. uh, And then only after that, I could see the bus running the road. You know, it was so, I mean, um, like a really scary experience. I've not seen. Like asphalt road, uh, like a bus running on the uh, road, you know. So, and I took a bus, and it took me five hours uh, from that place Maleku to Kathmandu. So you lived uh, but, in Kathmandu by your, by yourself from age twelve. Yes. Yes. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. So then, uh, then I, I mean, my father had given me a couple of names. Uh, like uh, who were somehow connected from great grandfather or something like yeah. the teachers, you know. And then all I had to do was to find some people who could help me, a man as a place to stay. And there was a Sanskrit hostel which you call like a, um, a Sanskrit chatras. Yeah. Uh, and a modern-day Gurukula, you know. And uh, and so that is where I stayed for like about nine years. And then um, I mean I kept going to India like Delhi and Rishikesh and all those. But uh-huh. then. For about like eight or nine years, I was getting degree from high school to uh, undergraduate uh, or Shastri from uh, Kathmandu, uh-huh. and then for Acharya, I went to Benares. Okay, so yeah. and then you were in Benares for how long? Four plus years. Okay, and, 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 so is Acharya equivalent to a PhD or what's that? Um, really? it's it's like masters. Okay. It's, it's like master's degree equivalent, yes. But,
0: but then you had to go and get your PhD somewhere. So Where did you go then?
1: Um, I was thinking of getting a degree PhD started from Sambunananda, but I just decided to not do it. And I just felt like I wanted to go get a degree. I didn't go immediately because I had to start my own department in Kathmandu. Uh-huh. I, I opened a department for Tantric Studies. Interesting. Uh, that, that department is still running like in 1991. And then till 99, uh, I was running that uh, small department that I started. And then in 2000, uh, I went to Germany for my PhD in Martin Luther University in Halle.
0: Wow, I mean, that was been such a, so, I mean, you've traveled so much throughout India and Nepal and, and done so much. I mean, what was, what was life like in Nepal when, cause you know, there's over oh, the past few years or past decades, Nepal is in so much transition between monarchy to democracy to, you know, was it, was it tough during that period of time to, 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 to
1: be? Um, life is always tough in Nepal Mukunda. That's why young generation is moving out. Mm. Um, but uh, in different ways. Uh, for example, when I was growing up, we didn't have electricity or roadways or anything. We didn't have anarchy either. If I I were to have some kind of nostalgia, I could say that in the village I was growing up, the nearby village produced cotton for our clothes. The other villagers like they were like uh, leather workers and we had enough of leather from our own dead cattle. We didn't need to rely on any leather product from outside.
0: Yeah.
1: Everything within the conglomerate of maybe like six, seven villages within like two, three hours of walking distance, Mm. everything other than salt, our villages produced on their wood. We were independent. Mm. And we had like a self-sustaining ecosystem and nobody knew non-organic pesticides and all. So we were growing of course organic and you know. So village life was simple. But of course, was it like uh, equality and all those things? Of course, we can always talk about social injustice and all those things. One thing I want to draw your attention to, though, <clears> in, in that village, nobody was homeless. Okay, I didn't understand the concept of homeless. Because why would you want to be a homeless? Villagers would just build a little hut for you. If you are single, that's even easy, just a tiny hut for you. And then that's your home. So the idea of homeless didn't exist. Not owning, not I mean, like I'm a homeless in that sense because just because I have a house that is owned by the bank in the yeah. traditional context, I would still be homeless because I still have to pay to somebody, you know. Sure, sure. So everybody, it, it was not like a grand mansion or anything. It's a small hut, but nobody nobody had to pay uh, rent or anything for anybody. Everybody was self-sufficient, and we supported everybody, you know, in the village. and and everybody had their little work. Even the storytellers, you know, who, yeah, did, yeah. who did the job, <laughs> they would just go and tell the story. because I mean, it, it's probably as different
0: from modern city life as one can can,
1: can think about. Is right? as and you cannot go to that village anymore in any part of Nepal. That type of villages uh, having some kind of um, self-sustaining system doesn't exist anymore. And for good, we have modern education. You know, we have English schools everywhere. Mm-hmm. And and for worse, we have a lot of anarchy. We have uh, given all these fantastic ideas of revolution. And I grew up in the generation we had to throw the kingship, which is good. I mean, many people now think they were great people, good kings, Hindu kings. They were just Another butchers and, and it's it's good for the humanity that they're gone, but we didn't replace them with something better, you know. Yeah, we, we just got something worse. Uh, so it's it's just one after another. We have just uh, uh, seen through transitions.
0: Wow, um, well wow. I mean, it, it must be it must have been a culture shock. Then go from Nepal and India to some place like Germany, Hala, to, to do work there.
1: Um, of course, uh, because like, uh, if my dream was just to go to the West, which most of the youngsters in Nepal, India dream these days, uh, I could have gone to Leipzig instead of Banaras in 1985 yeah. because uh, there was Professor Bernard Kolver. Uh, I was uh, I was able to read the manuscripts and ancient scripts just by family training. Yeah, uh, I didn't need a special training for that. But then my Sanskrit knowledge and he was impressed. He was doing research in Kathmandu those days and I was introduced to him by my Nyaya and Tantra teacher, who is he still alive. And, uh, and so I was I was asked if I wanted to go to Germany and I respectfully declined and chose to go to Benares yeah. because that was more fitting for my nature. And, uh, and later I realized that uh, I, I was not, uh, um, I would say conscious enough of our time at that time. I didn't know where our society was or how far we had moved from our own ethos uh, or, or uh, our own value of education. Uh, So when I realized that uh, I should learn a lot from the West, I that was the minute I decided and then um, and I went to the West, Um, you know, I I went to Germany, I went first to Italy and I stayed there for a few months. And then I just felt like uh, I didn't didn't want to do my studies there. And then next stop was uh, uh, Germany. And that's where I got my PhD from. Wow. And then uh, you made your way. Did you teach in Germany at all? No, no, no. I was just uh, doing my PhD part-time I because I had a job in Nepal. Okay. I was on leave. And so uh, whenever I had a scholarship, I go to Germany and then go back to Nepal. And then uh, that time foster was like immediately after a year, I was offered uh, a part-time job at UC Santa Barbara to teach Sanskrit. So I came here and then for the summer I went to work in Germany. So that is how I kept like a summer time working with my professors there. And then other times continue to write and then share the documents through emails. So that's, wow. how, that's how I did.
0: That that's uh that must have been very interesting kind of globe trotting for
1: <laughs> no, work. It, yeah, it was it was very interesting, but it just gave me um, I mean, I, I would say three different perspectives. I always find um, each having their own merit. The yeah. traditional way of Pandit's learning uh, basically to add categories.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not just about memorizing, because that is, uh, that is when you have a cultural decay and people pick up the worst aspect of it and exemplify sure. that. So, uh, Pandit's job is not just to memorize the text. They are not like some. Recordings, you know, so their, their job is to uh, have it digested, absorbed all the thoughts that have given up till their time and constantly keep thinking along those lines. And then, if you come up with new categories, and then you add those. And many times, uh, a single pundit would not even bother adding or writing a new thing. If you got like uh, five new arguments from a book, you would just mm-hmm. that to your student or you would have krodapatra Patra or sort of a, a added commentary. And then you sh- you share just those leaflets, insert in the book. like Because those days you have these uh, folios, right? And then mm. Kuroda, Kuroda Patra, you want folio, you insert inside. Uh, and then when you have tons of that in four or five generations, maybe accumulated knowledge. So all the writers didn't come up with their like original ideas because they were, their teachers were adding, their grand teachers were adding. And, and you can't have like all three generations of teachers didn't write. And like boom, then you have one brilliant student who wrote all the books. That is how the West thinks. But that is not how it works in the Pandit tradition.
0: So that's very, I never really thought about that way. So in, in many ways, one could even look at these great thinkers like Abhinav Gupta or Shankara Ramanuja as having been part of maybe something like that, right? Been taught this knowledge and then, and then uh, passed on from person to person until it gets to them when they decide to write a commentary and they bring all these positions into play.
1: So Mukunda, this is a very essential thing for you to understand Hindu yeah. way of thinking because um, we never thought of the ownership of ideas. Mm. And therefore, most of our Shastras do not have the author per se. Yeah. Or we will call Vyasa, for example. I mean, uh, for heavens, Vyasa wrote 18 Puranas, 18 Upapuranas and Mahabharata and everything, you know, so, <laughs> and uh, Brahma Sutra and everything. So yeah. we know that uh, historically there have been many persons. So, and then the same Shankaracharya later, you know, everything is like uh, uh, the Bhagavad Pada, the So who wrote this? The way today we write with all the references, and if someone copies me and doesn't give me credit, then you know I make a big deal out of it. This is also um, about my individuality, modern Western understanding of who I am,
0: mm-hmm. in
1: isolation of the collective. So most of the ways Acharya's thinking work is in osmosis, and also through gurus. And we are not just like a. Uh, you have to forgive me if if I make a total separation from the modern day gurus to the old gurus because old gurus were actually thinking beyond what was given. Modern days, you know, you just pick up one guy who is just willing to be your doll and then you just, you know, make him your guru. and, And, you know, so this is not, this is not what gurus ever meant. Gurus were thinkers, you know. So, each of the why they pay so much reverence to their teachers, and, and you know, oftentimes give credit to their teacher for their work is because not because they were just you know, worshiping their teacher as God, but because they their teachers actually did the work, mm-hmm. they, they are writing down the thoughts their teachers handed down to them. Most of my writings, even today, I can say that are. In the conversation, when I when I think through something like somebody asks me, "Can you write on imagination? Can you write on this issue?" I just wait till I get back to one of the conversation I've had like twenty years ago, uh, right. 20 years ago with one of my teachers, and then, and then that resonates. So in a sutra, in an aphorism way, teachers have already given that. Mm. Not in writings, wow, but that they live through me. So and, and I'm just giving it a shape, giving it a structure of the thoughts that my teacher lived through. And I don't even know how much of that was imparted to them by their teachers.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, it, 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 I mean, what it seems like is the ideas and the thoughts are more important than necessarily who came up with it in a particular time. But there is some sort of reverence to the general group of people you would call teachers and gurus that you you give reference to for those
1: thoughts. Yes. And also, we need to make this important because, um, for example, Abhinav Gupta gives credit to 20 different teachers in, Uh in his writings. And it is possible that, I mean, for most of the teachers, including his own father, his first grammar teacher, they were thinkers too. Yeah. And uh, so for most of the teachers, we do not find anything written by them. Were they just like, uh, uh, they were just good enough to teach Abhinavagupta, but not good enough to do any writing? Or maybe they didn't care. Maybe they just cared to teach, right? And and, and they cared to teach, but most likely they didn't just translate a book or download a book in Abhinavagupta, right? They yeah. must have they must have taught him something to, to think in a new way. So they, it is possible that they had some... New categories added, and then the job of Navaguta, I'm not saying he was not original thinker, but it's just like what is originality, Mukunda? Yeah. I mean, we we are we are we are constantly learning from each other. So there is no ingeniously like there is no eureka. It's a, it's a it, there is no unprecedented, non-existent uh, creation ex nihilo in yeah. Indian thinking. There is no creation ex nihilo. That's
0: right. It, it all, it's all from, you know, like like we study in many ways in Samkhya, right?
1: It's all cause and effect. Yes, it's exactly. All... You know, also yeah. the transformation from one structure to the next. Yeah. So it's a—it's not a creation ex nihilo. I mean, even in our own creativity, we have creativity. What is a creativity? In assemblance, most likely, you know, yeah. and then giving a new structure and then is new structure just a, a sort of a putting together of the same thing but there is originality like you cannot say that uh, you know the the bridge san francisco bridge it's just a, just a putting together of the pieces of uh, uh, iron you know right? It's, it's yeah in one sense it is but there, there is some originality there right right so right, creativity right. comes in the process of assembly right, but right. But, that, but that doesn't mean that they had to find some non-existent raw materials to start from.
0: No, I I, I think you're absolutely right here. I mean, uh, it, it, you know, this is always. You actually wrote a book on uh, on creativity, did,
1: did you not? I am working on it. Yeah. I have a bunch of projects. I have not published that book. I'm that is there are a bunch of things that inspire me because something we say is like in the modern times why. And there's so much of creativity in the West, and not as much in the eastern part of the world. And we have right. all these different social theories. And and I'm just uh, I'm just rethinking uh, what even creativity means. So just so you are able to have some bunch of patent rights, and then you are just creative, original, and you are you are living. You know, some of these great ideas. Then you have uh, you lack originality, or you have no creativity. You know, so it's just like a how to what is the scope of creativity to when we say something is is creative and and some others are just copies you know so
0: you know, you know what's a good example about creativity that i always I, I think is amazing is is music right especially in the indian style music yeah. right like yeah. i mean yeah. western has its definite benefits i love it yeah. but yeah. like for example like in, in in indian music like the same song or the same raga, you know, every time you hear it is as different as night and day, right?
1: And every exactly. time, exactly. Every time you hear it is different every, as night and day. Every tabla player I listen to, every sarod player I've listened to, every sitar player or flute player I have listened to, there is unmistakable originality. Not that their beats are different. Yeah. You know, it's just like, you know, there, he's also playing the same thing. No. He's playing the same raga. No. He's playing the same raga. Yes. Sometimes maybe they are also making new ragas, but, but that is not even the case. So yeah. originality does not function through dissociation from history. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like within the raga, the I mean, example is, you have a set scale of notes. Like if you go Sa So you, you can you can use that 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 system of notes and create originality every single time you sing it. So it, yes, it, it, yeah. every way you sing it, it just it it's different. It sounds different. Like. And this is where, where I find that it, it's beautiful, and I wish I, I wish I had a, a better musician than myself on to explain this, but I, for me, I just it's been a long time since I've done it. Um, but it's such a way in which, even though you're bounded with these notes, you're unbounded in how you can use those notes, right? Yeah. it's like a yeah. it's a yeah. finite series, but it's infinite within the finite series.
1: Yes, yes. So it's a, it's a, like if you say you know you have only four of these um, uh, acids you know and for yeah. building your dna structures and you yeah. there any any in to have the variations of no that, uh, yeah you know so the so this is the same thing we may be following the same beats at uh, the same way the ragas you know so it's it's like also with the shastras like a, you know i know nyaya and we kind of make it as if like every nyaya thinker from bahadshah to raghunath shiromani or even some later thinkers like mm-hmm. uh hariram shastri for example you know my guru's guru um, uh, like they are the same they are reading the same book and thinking the same old uh, you right. know already thought no they are not doing that they are they are they are within the system of thought but they are always bringing something new right so i, I want
0: to get back to this but but I think this is a great jumping point into talking about you know, Abhinavagupta, who was considered by many to have been one of the most creative, original, and um, you know, I wouldn't say iconoclast, but a very powerful thinker within the Indian tradition. Right? He wrote on, on Vedanta, he wrote on Tantra, he wrote on Shastra, he wrote on you know, Alankara, he wrote on so many different areas. I think he even did poetics and math and, yeah, did, yeah, and did all these things or he was a true polymath and a polyglot, you know, yeah. like, so can you tell us who Avineva uh, is? He's not very well known, even yes. amongst Indian thinkers.
1: So, yeah, I mean, one of the things you, Mukunda, you brought it correctly is that uh, while thinking traditionally, individuals do not matter as much as ideas. Yeah but in the modern world if we fail to recognize these individuals to brand these indi- modern world is about branding
0: yeah
1: and and if we fail to do so then uh, ideas alone either get lost or get swallowed by other people who take that credit and then they get dispersed and dissolved into the vast oceanic thinking that is the modern world yeah so um, for example, uh, when I talk about Dirgatamas, uh, I mean, Veda, uh, how, yeah. how many people do even know the name? I'll come to Abhinavagupta, but I have to pay homage to Dirgatamas first. Because yeah. I I mean, Dirgatamas is in um, the earliest part of the, the historically, the earlier construction, earlier section of Rig Veda. So yeah. even from the Western standard, he could have been around 13th 14th century before the common era and uh, if you if you read the text and and try to decipher the riddles he made and even a little bit you know about his own life the, his blindness and yeah. the way he was abused all these things you get a historical person with having original thinking and uh, and we are like you know we we are kind of I don't know, you have a term, you know, always, always this complaining about how uh, the West is not doing justice for us, you know, Yeah, yeah. so this is like Dirga Thomas, I would love to read the book on philosophy of Dirga Thomas, for example, and immediately like, okay, well, you know, the West didn't, why should, why should anybody else do that for you? Uh, So, uh, when you go to philosophy classes, Mukanda, you have attended philosophy classes, so go to first one hundred level you will go to history of philosophy hundred level class and then it begins from Greece of course it 's sure because you have these history, but if you start from Thales, for example Anaximander, or all some seventh century thinkers, why can't we start from twelfth century b c e fourteenth century b c e by simply translating those texts not in the ideological way uh, because that only preserves the, the originality but fails to have a communication with the modern world, but have those translated in the modern uh, a philosophical term- terminology, not like violating the text, mm-hmm. but making them speak for our generation and, and engage them with some of the Western philosophers so that they come to dialogue, they come back to life. So yeah. that, is, that is why I'm talking uh, now going back to Abhinavagupta. So for Abhinavagupta, we have it easy. Honestly, like I worked for a long time on Advaita. I do continue to work and study on Advaita. But honestly, um, we can do theology and we can do uh, to some extent philosophy too from Abhinavagupta. But the extent to which we can make Abhinava's philosophy applicable to modern world, we cannot do that by bringing anybody from classical India. Mm. Gupta was full of life. He didn't deny the world. He didn't deny our everyday. He didn't deny the joy we could have in this body, in this world, you know, this world, this. And he didn't deny the change. That's what I find this maybe he's the first philosophy of dynamism that we rarely get. Everything is stalled, static, Brahman does not change, you know, nothing changes. And then Boom, in the West also, you know, the, you don't have that many philosophers of dynamism. No. Like uh, you can uh, 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 they're, they're like may, be very few thinkers. Well, of I mean, the,
0: uh, yeah, late, later on, you get someone like Whitehead, who's more dynamic. Right right, right. 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 Uh, right. But yeah. I mean, I mean it, it, but in, in the medieval period, I don't think, to be honest, like, or even the ancient, near ancient period, dynamism, was seen as a problem, right? It was seen yeah. as yeah. change yeah. was yeah. was evil. Change yeah. is the problem, right? Because even yeah. if you look at yeah. you know yeah. uh, you know uh, Neoplatonism, it's all about going back to the One who never changes, who's always fixed. Who's, yeah. The emanations all are changing; everything changes, so they're all false and problematic. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's it's. I think that's fascinating position of of Abhinava, is that the dynamism of reality is is yes we,
1: I, I find it uh, this uh, very essential because if you read the history of western philosophy yeah. uh, one of the ways like particularly what inspires me is to read from heraclitus and parmenides yeah, yeah. and and you can see this dialogue between heraclitus and parmenides of of uh, static and Flux dynamic. and then the one yeah. yeah and then you can you can find that in uh, uh, Andre borgson a French philosopher, matter and memory, and, and 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 uh, uh, similar in Zil DeLos, you can find that uh, type of thinking to some extent. I mean Guattari and DeLos, That's why I read Guattari and DeLos a lot, and uh, and so uh, uh, in in the case of MGI, we have like uh, this uh, uh, number one. We have thought that this type of dynamism is captured. In maybe some form of Buddhism, because it said impermanent, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: everything. But but that impermanence is very different. It's just uh, it's just uh, chopped pieces of moments, and it's not of enduring things. Uh, and uh, I I am more uh, interested in a, a grammarian named Yaska, yes, who could be before or contemporary of a Panini, panini yeah. and. Uh, let me give you one small example of the Yaskan way of thinking. Sarvam Nama Akhyata Every name word is derived from the verb. So uh, if you see what is bhava, materialization, like for example, go is the word go means cow. Oh. So the cow is derived from the verbal root gum to go. And bhava means a when you have this uh, um, Substantivized and then you have it materialized as if, like, this uh, suffix after the verbal base uh, uh, gum makes that word go means uh, the entity that just uh, some animal you know that just keeps going, going. I mean, like, moving. So, um, there is it is not just a name of something as a name, but it describes some kind of intrinsic property of the being in which. The, the describing factor is from the verbal base mm. the, and every verbal base is referring to dynamism. So if everything in the world has one or another name and one or another name already embodies some form of dynamism, I think Yaska was one of the first philosophers of dynamism. And then you can see that I love her theory. I've written um, a, a good amount of uh, essays on Bhartriyari, and I find that same uh, type of breath living uh, in Bhartriyari. He was not just a grammarian because he wrote on metaphysics, like the Vakyapadiya. Many people read Vakyapadiya as a book of grammar. Unfortunately, uh, Vakyapadiya is the most encyclopedic book, and he should be considered, you know, like in a real sense, one of the fathers of modern. Uh, uh like a indian uh, secular philosophy. i i was talking about yaska and then and Bhatri- i i jumped yeah, and then i jumped to Bhartriyari, you know yeah. fifth century i'm just like there is a thousand year gap mukunda you need to know <laughs> between between yaska and Bhartriyari. it is not like a 50 year gap or something okay so in in bhartiari too you know many people because it's a vakyapadiya an on sentence and w- words but um brahmakanda uh, the first book of maybe 180 around that verses is uh, on on the metaphysics, and it's it's like a, even when the book goes like a, you know the padakanta uh, um, uh, and then you will you will find it describing on substance on the genus on time and number and and space on guna uh, and and all these. Uh, categories he uh, systematically addresses, and uh, uh, so um, you do not find uh, uh, that depth of all these issues um, by reading a single philosopher of that time without reading Patravi. So that is one of the one of the hindrances of not advancing. Uh, uh indian philosophy further is uh, is also not recognizing the gravitas of thinkers like varttari and coming to Abhinavagupta, gupta for example we yeah. have not we have not recognized and one of the things is like you know like the extent to which we read Shankaracharya or ramanuja or balavaacharya um, uh, um is is a denominational it's like the churches uh, you know the ashrams uh, providing food and shelter to study those books. And now uh, with these uh, new emerging Swami Narayanas, because they are creating new theologies and making the schools to teach their books. And so uh, there is no uh, separate ashram structures to uh, propagate Bhartriyari or avinava Gupta. Yeah. And, and therefore, uh, there are some other texts that you need to study, for example, Panini, uh, mm-hmm. So therefore, even if uh, you are not interested in grammar philosophy, you will still study uh, Panini just for the sake of learning language, but uh, because you do not need to read you know, all these other Abhinavagupta. That is why uh, in the modern curricula, that was one of the things my teacher, who was uh, also rector in the university in Nepal, mm-hmm. uh, Professor Vidyanath Upadhyaya, he recognized and he asked me to go to Bernaras and, and study with masters so that I could establish a department of tantric studies to have the teachings mostly to teach the literature of Abhinavagupta and his teachers so like uh, you know, Arshumananda, uh, Utpala Deva, Abhinavagupta, Akshayam Raja. Primarily these texts because uh, we needed to have a department in Nepal uh, at least one department uh, and to have that knowledge. Wow, um, that's that's really. Um...
0: That's amazing. I mean, I mean especially to have it's great because Gupta is actually from the mountain region himself too. So it's good to have uh, that established in the region where he was probably around. Um, what who was Amitavu Gupta? Can you give us a little bit of background on who he who he was, if we know, or or is he very yeah. much
1: not? Compa- un- compared to other people of that time, are those eras uh, of the Indian philosophers. We actually know more about Abhinavagupta. Gupta. We have a rough idea of later 10th, early 11th century as his time in one of the um, uh, one of the bhakti, one devotional uh, song he composes. He writes his date when it was composed. And, and in, in some other texts too, he hints here and there also gives chronology. Um, so he's uh, forget these, all the all the places, but his mm-hmm. grandparents moved from another region. So it's not like he from he doesn't trace all the genealogy from Kashmir. But he loved Kashmir in the Tantra Loka. Last chapter, you can see his praise for for Kashmir. He really loved the place. He had high, you know, uh, reverence. Uh, for uh, for what kashmir was and uh, mm, and he was uh, full of life i mean there like a lot of we have mythologized like he walked into a cave or something non historical uh, kind of you know we also fictionalize when you have like a great masters sure. but if we remove all the fictions we we still know what he wrote he wrote uh, you know mostly in a commentarial way, but um, he was very cosmopolitan Mukunda, like uh, when he's rejecting some ideas, he's not behind like after some schools just for the sake of rejecting ideas. Mostly he gives thorough credit for whether they are coming from the Buddhist school or Jain so he has this uh, honesty to give credit for other ideas if they are deriving he's not rejecting ideas for the sake of rejecting sure. he embraces he does not hesitate to take ideas from other school uh, where he finds comfortable you know to learn from others and so that is itself um, uh, deviating from more orthodox uh, you know like a traditionally bound uh, old quantity structures and and next thing he does is like a when you are reading this Bhagavad Gita or Paratrishika, and then he sticks into it, OK, well, this is another way of. And that's in some um, manuscripts I've seen this. So he does not just stick to one manuscript for one reading of the text, and he, he finds variations. He actually compares, the, like a modern Indologists who are editing a book. So he's actually editing a manuscript and he says like which manuscript to rely. And if they're like both the possible readings, then he gives meaning from both ways. He has done that. He does
0: that with and, the Gita, actually. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because his, his
0: manuscript for the Gita is different from Shankara's.
1: Yeah, so, so yeah, exactly. So that is that is something um, uh, uh, that, that shows that uh, He's not just being honest about his school. He's being honest in as a scholar, honest yeah. for the for the scholarship itself. And uh, so, what he did—I um, mean, they say he wrote like forty plus texts, and of course, we do not find a good number of them. But even those that we find today, he has substantial amount of metaphysics. You can find like a Paratrishika Vivarana or uh, Sri Tantraloka, Tantrasara, Tantra Vatadhanika, just to name a few. Sure. Uh, but also they say he wrote a commentary on uh, Shiva Drishti. I don't think we have it now. Uh, but uh, on epistemology, mostly writing in a commentarial way upon Uttapala uh, Deva's uh, Ishwara Pratavigna himself wrote two different commentaries for like a short and lengthy one and Abhinava Gupta wrote two extensive commentaries sub commentaries upon those commentaries so vimarshini and vibriti vimarshini so this is like a, a really magnanimous volume I have I have them here mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, on on uh, dramatology uh, dramatology you have this uh, avinava Bharati you know mm-hmm. like an extensive book you know and uh, the writing the commentary on that and if he was only interested, that is what I meant. I don't mean to disrespect Acharya like Shankaracharya or Ramanaja, but when they are reading philosophy just for a uh, soteriological perspective, mm-hmm. they are interested in writing commentaries or prakarana like independent chapters that help you liberate or, or help you contemplate upon something, but yeah. then Uh, But then that is it, you know, and then what about drama? I mean, why should Abhinavagupta Gupta write about drama and at the same time write extensively on Upaya's methods of liberation? So he wrote on not just drama, then you have this dhanyaloka lochana, so on the the, uh, philosophy of dhwani, sentence meaning, and then the suggested meaning, like a deeper layers of meaning, how to Contextual contextualized meaning that goes beyond the beyond the words you know it's like a, what is what is hinted at not expressed directly yeah. so on poetics basically and then he wrote like a mixture on texts like a Carpenter uh, like somehow in a simple text but still finding something creative a new way of looking at it so. Um, he he wrote in like a Bhagavad Gita commentary, for example. So he was not bound to just one way of thinking. Although you can of course derive overall philosophy there. Yeah. But but even then, uh, and and without any contradiction, you know, like many thinkers have, like early Abhinava, later Abhinava, and there's a contradiction. I don't think so. So without contradicting oneself, he's constantly evolving, coming from early age maybe. More devotional writing and texts like a Tantra Loka, more into metaphysics, and then uh, and then uh, most people would think you know going to more a spiritual line. No, and, and he goes more to epistemology. You know, so yeah. as, a, as a as a mature Abhinavagupta is an epistemologist. So it's a, it's an amazing journey, and and he does not he's not duplicitous. Like he's always honest about his own saivite background. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he uh, shows any uh, disrespect uh, um, when, and, and then he doesn't try to make other texts like Natashastra into something that is not, you know, make, make some theology out of it. So mm-hmm. he, he, he honors like Loka, for example, he, he honors and preserves the text in the way they were by only adding like 100 new categories. Right. 100 new ways of thinking into it. So, right. yeah, he is like a. In in Indian um, uh, thinking, there's just one another guy, uh, honestly, historically, who was more or less like him, uh, Vachaspati Mishra. So, Vachaspati Mishra also shows like great uh, integrity and honesty towards writing different commentaries on on different disciplines. And when he's writing on uh, Nyaya, for example, he is not trying to reduce Nyaya into Vedanta. And when he's writing on Vedanta, he's not trying to make it into Sankhya. And when he's writing on Sankhya, he's also trying to be as honest as he can within the system of Sankhya. So that type of integrity you can see in Abhinavagupta. Wow.
0: Wow. And and you touched on a point that I think uh, you know, is a very contentious point in this day and age, especially the concept of tantra. Right? What is tantra? Yeah. You know, this is uh, what it means to with people within India to practitioners who are across the world, the West. You know, this—it's it this sense of like sexual—is it it's it's like sub- subversive. It is it is this—it's almost like this extreme physical sensuality type of practice, which is, I mean, which is not true, but it is kind of true. So it's, uh, what is tantra?
1: (laughs) Now, don't ask me to define tantra. Again, it will be unjust to like a tradition, but but again, because I don't want to just wash off my hands by saying it is difficult. Yeah. Yeah, whatever I say is not going to be appropriate and enough. That's what I meant. Sure, sure. So, So um, in one, Tantra in the cross-cultural context, I wrote this paper like five, six years ago. Mm. I ask you to read that. I have some funny anecdotes in there. Um, Tantra, when you hear Tantra, you know, like forget about when you hear, let me give you my own example. After I established my department of Tantric studies in Kathmandu, the only type of people who consulted me were either having in their i don't know what the real status is either having problems with ghosts and spirits so i could do some kind of exorcism or wanted to hypnotize somebody or were thought they were being hypnotized by somebody uh, or you know wanted to cast a spell on someone or something like that yeah. so These days, I mean, it's kind of easy to talk about the West and look how romanticized, but let's talk about India itself, okay? We have to have that level of integrity. If we want to critique on others, we need to have self-reflexivity. We need to be self-aware subjects. So this way, even in the homeland, Tantra has been uh, reduce some to, to some ghouls, some some like Agori type, you know, cremation ground type, scary ghost, goblins, black magic, you know, tantric, boot, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and this is one uh, uh, sad thing, uh, and and not that there is nothing related to possession and exorcism and something like that within the branch of tantra. Yeah. Uh, but but the same goes in the West, that it, as soon as you hear Tantra, then it is all to do with sex. And this uh, all types of fantastic. Actually, uh, when I picked this book, Tantric Yoga, it was written by some Australian lady, I think. I, I don't know if you can find that book again, but I, I was in Kathmandu. I picked that book in 1998. Uh, it was sold in Indian market. So and i didn't I didn't read the book. I just saw Tantric yoga. I just picked the book from the bookstore and then by the time I took home, we started a few pages and then oh my gosh, this is, I have not seen anything like that. Read anything like that in any real tantric Agama text. Okay? Is that like Diane Richards? That one? I, I don't even know. Maybe okay. maybe I'll give it. The, but but it was it was all graphic, uh, most likely related to group sex activities, uh, and so um, this is this comes from our own cultural limitations. Right. Uh, uh, the the Western culture, let's say, mostly Judeo-Christian culture is a sexually repressed culture and right. a masochistic culture. And then it is very liberating for them to think about fantasize sexuality. And, and you know, like 1960s and 70s, when the great sexual revolution immediately connected with India. Let me tell you one thing completely unrelated. Uh, when I was going to St. Louis, that was my uh, first full-time job in America. I landed in the airport, one guy who picked me up, and, and and then this guy um, um, asked me if I'm Indian. And I said, yes, uh, because I don't like in Nepal, India. It doesn't mean much to me. I'm an Indian. And then, you know what he says, this driver, wow, the land of the Kama Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I mean, it's is it like, I I, find, I always remember this. It is so funny. Is he trying to? Stereotype me, and then when he says, like, but that being
0: said, Acharya ji, India does have 1.4 million billion people, so maybe Ka- uh, Kama Sutra is, is the land of the Kama Sutra.
1: <laughs> to, I mean, yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, no denying there, you know, and, and that is basically the kind of you know, like. a our own Rishi Paramparas were not based on this uh, putting the loin cross and then, you know, just uh, emaciating yourself, uh, sure. emasculating yourself. And um, and, uh, and so in Abhinavagupta and in Tantras, what you find is acceptance. Mm-hmm. And it is not like uh, making it mandatory. Like when I say, I don't eat meat, I, yeah. I don't even drink. And yeah. many people say, but you are a tantric. How can you do Tantra without, without meat and, and liquor? So it, what Tantra did is you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Right. That freedom doesn't mean that then therefore you have to do the opposite of what you're doing. You know, I, I know I have the freedom. I, I can choose to, to live the life I want to. Any right. dogma, any doctrine, any text, any guru, any God cannot impose anything upon me. Right. But that, that doesn't mean that I should just do all the random things and and you know discard social hierarchies and structures and, sure. and you know social life altogether. You know. Now, now
0: within the Tatra system, then even though you you have the freedom to do everything um, or anything, um, does it still have the concepts of the trigunas, no sattra tamas in the same way? So if you were to be, if, if you decide not to, you can eat meat and follow a certain path, and that's totally fine. Or you can be now a vegetarian follows sattva path and that's different it, it doesn't have that uh,
1: demarcation yeah many many tantras you know do have like a different bhavas what particular yeah. bhavas you want to generate and right. and it's like ultimately if you are mahasiddha
0: yeah
1: if you have already achieved all that is there to be achieved recognize oneness with the cosmos you know this could happen in some mystical states of experiences right then at that stage um Whatever you do, are the laws. Jatthavi, uh, tattavi, jatthi imarda, tattaniśeda. Nisheda Ya Amana behaves, if a person does this is Maheshwar Ananda, a 13th century tantric, very much Abhinava guptian. He says, right. Yatra ruchi, tatra vidhi. What yeah. you want, what That's... you desire, that is the law. Tatra vidhi. Jattra imanasti, tatra Nisheda. Wherever you have no desire, there is Nisheda prohibition this is the law we give to you. Why? all the shastras disciplines are the pulsation of the heart. Wow. So when, when you are at that stage of recognizing oneness with the totality, then I can do what I want. Then would I want to kill you? When I recognize my own self within you, would I want to get some of your money stolen to my pocket? Or would I, would I want to do some unjustful things against any other person, even insect? So, you know, the, the idea of this, which, which is rejected mostly, like these ideas are useless, not possible. But this is like the, the ideal is to reduce your individuation and to somehow recover your homogeneity with all the, not just humanity, all the sentient beings. And in that sense, trace your minimalistic being, essence, in which you find something common with all the living, breathing entities. And, and in that regard, try to recognize their uniqueness by not rejecting your own oneness, identity with them. So, Abhinavagupta's philosophy is not a rejection of individuality, you know, yeah. but it is also. A sort of affirmation of that uh, homogeneity. So we are we are we have something universal, common. Uh, We have what what do we have common? Ridaya, for Abhinava Gupta, we have the pulsating heart. That is what we have common. Every sentient being has, you know, a hum that he says, this I am, the sense of I am, even insect has that i am beautiful the way an insect experiences i am and the way i experience i am he says there is no categorical difference it is the same experience there is no qualitative difference in the experience as such of the i am and in that sense what i experience uh, when i say i am or what an insect experiences when it has the feel it doesn't need to say in language you know yeah but it has a feel of the sense. That is why it, it tries to protect itself, you know, like a, like a self-preservation is common even to the shells in your body. Sure. There is, there is some I am-ness already there. Yeah,
0: it, it, you know, it somewhat reminds me of Thomas Nagel's what it's like to be a bat, you know, uh, his, his idea, right? His idea of consciousness uh, of how difficult it is to understand consciousness amongst different beings but there is something there
1: yeah no he extended actually in one of his not very recent but one of the recent works mind yeah. and the cosmos yes. he he explores that from the panpsych panpsychistic perspective you know one of the strands of new way of thinking uh, through panpsychism so uh, yeah i like i like thomas nagel and and uh, he has extended uh, continued to think uh, in the same that that essay you cited came around like 1965. Yeah, yeah. Like that. yeah. So, but yeah, he has continued to think uh, more or less along the same lines. So, and
0: yeah. So let me ask you then. Um, that, so one of the cor- and you mentioned it already very briefly, but one of the cornerstones in in especially in Trika and uh, Gupta and Tantra is Spanda. What is what is Spanda, right? Because it's a unique concept amongst a lot of uh, across any philosophy i would say
1: so the way uh, i i i do believe that Karika was uh, composed by kalata and you know this is the genealogy of basugupta and kalata to what extent uh, mm-hmm. who composed kalata has a short commentary upon Karika also um pulsation what is this spanda when we say shakti this pulsating energies, we fail to recognize that we when we say these are the energies of Shiva, yeah, our fundamental flaw is that just like say these are my books, you know, mm-hmm. and then like imagine if those are the spanda energies and I could say these are my spanda energies, mm-hmm. but but then if all of these books are dumped, I will still be there. Yeah. I'll still exist. But if you dump all the spanda energies, there would be nihilo, there wouldn't be Shiva. Yeah. So Shiva is just a collective name for all these pulsating, vibrating energies. There is no Shiva in addition to or in isolation of Shaktis. I see. So th- this is what most people fail to recognize. And this is where you are going to get this unique power structure for the future generation, also, that there is this how to rethink the center and the periphery. Or and, and that already changes how to rethink the the crown, the president, and the subjects. Because like you know, like a bee and the queen bees. And we, we are thinking like queen bee, you know, makes all the bees. But you know that uh, entomologists uh, uh, already have found out that actually, in absence of a queen bee, all the bees can collectively somehow manage to, you know, as if a point or or, 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 or have have a queen bee. So, um, queen bee is not an isolation of or given by God kind of separate entity that has these lower minions. It's just just a structure that is self-sufficient, somebody has to assume the role. And so this is uh, the kind of fold you can, you can find almost in Baroque way of, of a power distribution throughout the cosmos. That is why it's like endless ways of thinking through energies. And, and that, is, that is what spanda is. It is not just that Shiva has sometimes spanda and when he wants to vibrate, that the spontaneity of Shiva is uninterrupted and is not temporally finite, is not especially determined because space and time are product of this as a consequence of these sponders. There is this spontaneity is inherent to within the nature. But then you could ask like, how could there be, if there's a Shiva nature, How could, uh, how could what type of pulsation? Uh, uh, you know, the ultimate comes the difference. What type of difference would be there? Mm. So I would say it's not a type of difference, but more about differencing. Mm. What, is, what do I mean by differencing? It's, 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 it's um, creating, projecting difference yeah. within yourself. Sure. So you, even when there is this singularity, within that singularity, you are free to recognize boundless diversity. The, the, the example would be like the waves and the bubbles and the mm-hmm. ocean for example like you know you can think of it as the ocean and also think of it as the bubbles can we pause here for, for a second oh, yeah because of the noise yeah sure
0: All we'll right. continue.
1: Let, let's continue where I was at? can you remind me first
0: you're, you're talking about the, the the pulsating nature of Shiva and how the Self, okay differentiating. Yeah, so because yeah. you were you are mentioning about the ocean and the bubbles. Now, I mean, Shank- Shankara also refers to the relationship between Brahman and and the jiva, as in like the ocean, the wave, or ocean, the bubbles. But for yeah. him, the wave is a lo- is luxury, right? Because yeah. it's not permanent. It, it it exists and it goes away. You know, but yeah. the ocean with Brahman is real. So how how does how does Abhinavagupta answer that question? Is it an issue of time? So is it? Real for a moment and then gone, or is it, is it always so, there?
1: Yeah, so it would be wrong to say that there is nothing illusory in Abhinavagupta. You know, Miraj is still a Miraj in yeah. Gupta. but uh, where we make a mistake is just because there is Miraj and there is error, like seeing a snake in a rope, that yeah. doesn't mean that everything, therefore, is a mirage. you know. So recognizing this world. Recognizing rituals, rec- recognizing our everyday life, recognizing yeah. our senses, our physicality, our embodied nature, our our activities, our actions, our duties, is very essential to Abhinavagupta, which are not the case with Shankaracharya. Yeah. So um, this, this, this inherent, for how does, I, I borrow this example, of course, even in our Yoga vasishtha conversation, that's one of the reasons why I, I love this book is because mm-hmm. it, it has full of that idea scattered throughout that the, the example of peacock egg, for example, like, a, uh, are they there, the, the difference? Because, because like the way, we have recognized difference is, is, is a, mm, a preeminent to being in, in very uh, Derudian sense. And, mm-hmm. and then in, in Shankara's sense, difference is fundamentally a flaw. And, and so there is no inherent intrinsic difference Mm, with being as such. And, yeah. and there is no being as such in isolation of the becomings in Jacques Derrida. Uh, but, but what we find in Avinaba is uh, as if both, not trying to please the both, but what we find in there is a latency. That, that is what Shakti is about. Latency yeah. is that uh, our differences are not annulled. Even in liberation, when we recognize that we have something commonly shared, whatever constitutes our differences and the amount, the extent to which we want to preserve uh, these differences are okay. Therefore, for the Mahasiddhas, you may have at least a a hagiography, you know, like you can find these Mahasiddhas, you know, uh, uh, sustaining uh, their life beyond time, you know, long, living or in keeping their individuality for a long time, even mm-hmm. after being disembodied, being in the subtle body for eons and eons, like in the uh, Yoga Vas- Vasishti conversation of Bhushunda, who is living for ages and ages, like Brahma also die, you know, come back and then, and then this bird is right there, you know. So uh, the idea, I mean, uh, we, when we are treating philosophy or ideas, we have to not uh, go back to historicizing this. Sure, sure. was there like a Bushunda? I'm just interested in a concept. Yeah. The, type of, the type of philosophy these guys are trying to convey. and that is that uh, um, very much embodied being uh, and, and uh, living in the world is, is one possibility and, and that is totally okay. And right. it is not about negating negating your individuality and blending, merging, Uh, because it is all illusion and moksha, you know, like moksha in here is the purna ahanta. That is what moksha is in tantra, means purna ahanta. This I am is not erased, but it is in this I am that I get my fullness, in which you are not outside of it. I am everything, not just all the faiths and all the languages and all the cultures and all the humans. I'm also transgender and the gay. I'm also black and white. I'm I'm everything. Everything yeah. is part and parcel of my own being. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean that's a powerful, powerful message, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a powerful, so. it's a powerful way of looking at the world. You know, I I mean for me it's so in many ways, so Lakshmi Tantra, which which I've you know, I, I love is very similar to this philosophy of, of thought about the nature of both you know the universe, the the, the, the Brahman as we call it call him, it, she, whatever, and yes. us as individual. It's, it's, it's a beautiful, like vibrant, dynamic, uh, I guess, intermixed world of, of reality that's that's so, you know, it's, it's so positive so positive and so not denying anything. It's not taking away anything. It's really focusing on like the inherent nature of all things connected. It's, it's beautiful. And, I, and the same thing, it seems to be Abhinavagupta's. Uh, focus on on the dynamism the even even the even staticness appears there but it's so dynamic it's it's, it's static in its dynamism I would yeah
1: so you can i mean there's also a textual connection actually between lakshmi tantra and these kashmiri uh, 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 texts so like yeah. you can you can compare some sections of lakshmi tantra with the pratibhijam ridayam of uh, kshemaraja so yeah. so there's just like these these texts were not written by the same person or, or, you know, same school, but they were learning from each other tremendously. Sure. And and so there's just a great uh, uh, indebtedness to each other. Yeah, I mean,
0: so with this dynamic philosophy of of Abhinavagupta, why do you not think that that tantra hasn't taken seed like Advaita of Shankara has? Because it, there's so much more world-affirming, so much more world-engaging than Shankara's philosophy in many ways. It seems like the perfect philosophy to bring people together in, in, in many different ideas
1: and levels. So there are, there are like a couple of historical factors. Number one, um, it's, a, it's a matter of endowment. And mm-hmm. I know you are in business, you can understand that. And as soon as I talk of endowment, people start saying, okay, look at this pandit, talking about money. Yeah. so what what pundits we are asked is we should just be selfless guys never even even eating food you know or just sleeping in the street yeah. so there is no endowment for uh, this type of thing what i mean is historically when kashmir collapsed you know uh-huh. right, maybe 100 years after abhinav gupta's time so there was no kingship to actually sponsor the way of thinking that you could Determine purely philosophical type, uh, uh, type, uh, Agama type tantra, sure. and then, and then these ideas took time and then mostly the the india after that is we are thinking in a very different way the political i don't want to go into into political issues but you know yeah. very well of the turmoil after islam came to india and then the some of the institutions that were strong did survive some mm-hmm. of the institutions that they some of the other thoughts that didn't have their own institutional support could not survive. And even think of the Buddhism, for example, could not survive in India after that. Because there's no real Buddhist writing that continues after like a 12th century in India in any meaningful way. So uh, that comes right around the time when after they're just like mostly um, this new type of thinking, Uh, uh, do not get any sponsorship. And if you already had support and then in the modern time, uh, it's being difficult to cross over the stereotypes. Also in India, myself, as I told you, mm-hmm. uh, when I went back to Nepal, I I had to cry, I wept. I've slept under the stars. I have, um, and you know, like I had to do all kinds of uh, uh, you know campaigns just to start the department for target sure. studies because because the university rejected. And wow. one thing. One thing I remember, actually, I jokingly told this uh, rector then, he unfortunately passed like few months back, but this guy who was a rector when I was trying to get the department started, and when even he could not stop uh, uh, from happening, and in his reluctance, he told me, do not come asking me for a lab with liquor and prostitutes on it. (laughs) My gosh, yes. (laughs) So I, I kind of jokingly reminded of him, of his dialogue just a year back when I was in Nepal. And, and you know, you told me this 25, 30 years ago, and he just laughed. <laughs> so, so people are the, um, you know, like uh, orthodox, uh, you know, we are, we are also, uh, the, it's an it's idea of either modern generation picking up, liberating yeah. from all these uh, hegemonies, uh, our own type also. And, yeah. and, and, then, uh, and then being able to adjust to some, some of these new new categories, new ideas. And then the West, I mean, why should the West worry much about how to revive Indian ways of thinking, you know? Right, right. So, I mean,
0: it's interesting because, like, you bring that up. It's one of the things I, I have read when I started reading, like, you know, philosophy or Indian philosophy, like, 20-some 20, 20 years ago was a lot of the writers back then, when they would write about, like, why someone like Nimbarka or Vallabhacharya would come around, one of the things they would say is they looked around their society and saw tantric practices taking hold, and they were rejecting these movements. Um, and I thought it was just so funny, because for me, like, what's... I mean, at that time, I was like, oh, wow, tantra must be really something else. But then when yeah. you go more into each of these different people's philosophies, so much
1: of it is based on some form of Tantra, right? Yeah, like, of it's- course, yeah. So there's this Bhaisanava Agamas, you know, like yeah. uh, um, um, Satvata Samhita, you know, and then, uh, Samhita, yeah. And Ahir Samhita, and, and the, yeah. a lot of Pancharatra Agamas, the whole way, particularly Ramanuja's thinking, grounded yeah. through and through on uh, Pancharatra Agamas. And the Bhagavata thinking itself, his Bhagavatas were maybe one of the original Pancha Ratras with Ras and everything happening, yeah. and then uh, and then they were most likely the original callers, you know. Uh, and even in Kashmir, we find like uh, people like Bhāmāna who were Vaishnava and writing on Tantra in in very philosophical manner. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is what we find is uh, uh, um, Tantra is not just Shyamite. No tantra and yeah tantra is not just advaita either, because there is some dvaita uh, uh, agamas some or advaita agamas and some purely advaita agamas some bhairava agamas some shiva agamas some ganapati like ganapati agamas okay. some saura surya worshiping agamas so yeah, let me tell you where do you get all the um, um, uh, uh, temple structures like uh, a
0: uh,
1: uh, yeah in the in the amaya uh, you know all the agamas <laughs> about the iconography all the description of how to make the statues and everything where do you get that in the uh, agamas yeah. and then the ritual from daily worship to all the calendrical ritual for all the hindu temples every single hindu temple okay i'm not yeah. talking about there is no vedic temple for uh, hinduism at all in in a, a real sense yeah. all the temples have some Agama and we are mixing the Vedas like we are chanting Vedas and all, but the basis for every single temple, every single Hindu temple is Agama. Yeah. And we are not, you know, engaging this thing. That is that is kind of, you know, that kind of makes me a little bit uh, emotional here, you know, because I struggle, even after coming to America, Mukunda, I struggle. My friend Glenn Hayes and I started this, uh, uh, tantra Group inside American Academy of Religion, and I chaired the group for about six years, and I left later because my friends are working on it. Fine, the group is running very well. So we also do Society of Tantric Studies, and and you know the, to refine uh, scholarship. I have edited uh, three times. I and Glenn guest edited uh, a, a journal Religion for Tantra issues, and <laughs> you know, at least what we are trying to do. Not about like, you know, give a mantra so this guy can get some magical power. Not not like that, but actually try to make sense of it. Try to understand in the modern philosophical, uh, psychological, cognitive science, and maybe even sociological context, what does it mean to to, um, have those ideas, not just locating them in history. So that is one of the things that I find Profound uh, and, and meaningful in the West that uh, the, the Western world, when they are reading their own texts uh, from their own traditions, they are not trying to locate them and freeze them in the ancient past. Yeah. When you read Michel Foucault, for example, Histo sexuality, I mean, he read through and through Aristotle. You can find the imprints of Aristotle everywhere, but he's not just simply, you can find the same even in Heidegger, you know, in, in, in his own analysis of being is not just initiated by him. You can find that tracing back to Heidegger, he, he himself does in introduction to metaphysics, like he does give credit of how he started doing this analysis and then, but that is not, he's not doing a, something parallel to Indology, you know, he's, he's addressing and and in in the modern light, in the modern context, and something like that is not happening in our front. Well, I, I
0: agree. You know, I've d- discussed this with so many other, you know, academics, especially of Indian or uh, or South. I, mean, I don't like the term South Asian, but Indian Nepalese or descent is is the idea that much of what modern Indology work is done is still the Western gaze looking through. The, the methods and ideas developed in the 18th, 19th century that haven't really been updated, right? And, and, and I think this is like the work you're doing, which I've, I really enjoy, is trying to look at our traditions, our texts through our own lens and applying what we've learned in the past two, three 300, 400, 500 years of growth of hu- human development into the conversations about what does it mean? What does it mean to have like consciousness as defined in, you know, in the Vedic texts or open issues? How does that apply today? How does Dharma work today? What do we think about these things? I mean, that's where I think we should really be focusing. What's the nature of biology and how does that impact the way we think about, you know, the what Shastas talk about in, in terms of the, the mind, the brain, the you know, manas, buddhi, intellect? How does that connect to modern
1: psychology? Or does it? You know, these are the questions yeah. that we yeah. Yeah. So also, our own, uh, I mean, it has to come through young generation, like when uh, we are able to educate people like you, or you are already self educated. But what I mean by that is uh, when uh, these self sufficient people who are working in different fields do understand the gravitas of, of this and understand, recognize the need to do so. Like uh, today, for example, I have eight. Unfinished manuscripts. I have separate book-length uh, texts on memory and recognition and samskara. I have on dialogue. I have on nirvikalpa pre-judgmental and judgmental consciousness. I'm yeah. currently working on time, and so it's like a, um, I'm I'm holding on some of these manuscripts also to learn more from the West because you know I I, I kind of like to evolve from not just seeing. How Shankara or Abhinava understood, but my repeatedly, I'm not, I'm not assuming that position. But what would Abhinava Gupta do if you were to just, you know, capture him from 11th century Kashmir and dump him in like a UCLA, you know, in the Department of Philosophy and Theology, and then just uh, inject the language of modern West? you know in his in his mind so he doesn't need yeah. to waste like 20 years of life learning all these so right I, I repeatedly ask myself i don't i'm not interested in only looking at 11th century india no and and what it means for us to have some of these ideas today and 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 how can we make meaning and that is also a process of self discovery because for for broadly um, the the uh, Hindu awakening, uh, Hindu Renaissance today is I'm I'm sorry to I don't want to go on length, but it's it's just a very misguided sense of a projected history and an fake, identity. And a fake and, and identity. It is it is rediscovering what the Indologists gave. And and right. then so yeah, we should even like you know finding that type of uh, Aryan civilization which we are already questioning you know right. so it's it's like that type of pristine pure uh, Aryan language pure Aryan land that is that is an, uh, unproven theory so so finding this land is purely Hindu land kind of ideas and then so this is this is where our main defect lies today Mukunda that. Uh, we should we should think for the future. Our thinking has to be future oriented. I'm not saying we should not learn from the past, but whatever we learn from the past has to be for the future. Right. And, it, and then so, um, if we conserve our history, fantastic. But that history should not swallow our future. You know,
0: hundred percent. I tell you, I mean, one of the things that, I mean, a couple of things that really frustrate me is. Some of the, the ways I feel like the modern quote-unquote Hindu renaissance that we talk about is really identity assertion. It's just saying, I am Hindu. And we had some glorious past that was amazing and perfect, which it never was, right? Like We have to be very frank that even, even when our, our history from the past, we look back, we had many problems. We had many issues. We had many, many same difficulties other civilizations had. But it's not about the difficulties, it's also the way we approach the world that I find to be unique, right? And it's that perspective upon the way we approach philosophy, history, politics, human connection, that I think needs to be brought to this day so that can go forward. Well, I, I, you know, one of the issues that we end up having is, well, we, we look back to the past and we think, oh, look at this great thought that Shankara had, look at this great thought that Ramana had, or Gupta had. Why aren't we taking those ideas and just like you said, putting them, dropping them smack dab in the middle of our world today and see how they contend with the world we live in, right? Instead of <laughs> yeah. looking back, back to them as if they're gods and their words are immutable mm-hmm. and non-changing, you know.
1: So if if commentarial writing more or less ended in fourteenth century, we are lacking another six hundred years of commentarial writing. And one of the ways would be, what would what would Shankara do? Ramanuja do, if he was like, he knew all the disciplines of his time. Yeah. He, he didn't just read some Vaishnava Agamas and chanted, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, and then, you know, that is not what he was, you know, like uh, read Vyasa Tirtha, read Jayatirtha, you know, yeah. like uh, these, these from the my, uh, and and the Ramanuja traditions, all the later philosophers, they're like prominent logicians, you know, yeah. they were grounding every single point on the basis of logic. And so, what would they do today? You know, they would not just recite the books from the past and then ignore the arguments from the present.
0: I, I agree. I agree. I mean, like, like one of the things that a lot of these, uh, you know, when you read any of these commentaries, you know, these, uh, you're, I'm blown away by how rigorous their logic is, right? Like, in some ways, it even puts the logic of many of the medieval Western thinkers in the West to shame. Because one of the first things, like, you know, like like Arma just says, is like. You can prove or disprove Brahman on using logic alone, so logic doesn't matter here. And you know, and so he 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 gives, he says the only way we can know is we have to take this as assumption based on the Vedas. I mean, and he goes through a logical reasoning for why even the Vedas, if they say fire is cold or whatever, yeah, yeah. it's it it you should be discarded, right? I mean, it, it's not as if like these they understood these things to be sacrosanct. They, they're very they're very ability to give spheres of authority for each text and how they even, through you know epistemology, Pramana, prameya, all that, to even figure out whether a text should be even thought of as being an authority or not and why, was so rigorously argue,
1: argued. So, uh, you're starting from Nyaya, yeah. like all the Shastras, disciplines have accepted Shabda, yeah. you know, testimony as a Pramana. But first of all, before even because vedas are shabda so yeah. without engaging what amounts to veridical knowledge yeah. and how it is derived they do not just jump into because it is in the vedas but what amounts to veridicality
0: yeah
1: that is where the shastras begin and so therefore can language can language reveal the truth can we know something sorry i i had to fix the cord power oh no 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 out. problem so, <laughs> So my my power is off in the computer. It will crash otherwise. So um, the the same now now uh, uh, going back to um, uh, uh, rethinking uh, some of these masters. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: they may not have addressed on every discipline, every branch. For example, we may not get like a first-hand microbiology. No. But. It, but look at the way I am deeply inspired by the works that Mind and Life Institute people are doing that Dalai Lama invites top-notch mm-hmm. scientists and cognitive scientists and philosophers and psychoanalysts, you know, like Francis Cabrera, like Ivan Thompson, like this to name a few. And then, but they do not just are another separate tribe. They work alongside the Lamas who have meditated for a long time. They are sitting together. And then there are these philosophers like John Donne, and you know, like all these top notch philosophers working on Buddhist philosophy, and they are collaborating, working together. And then some of these neat ideas, like uh, autopoesis, you know, some of these ideas came in this conversation. uh, And some some concepts have been like uh, accepted by modern biology, the system biology, for example, many categories within that. Uh, So, why couldn't we do something like that? I have no objection to, you know, doing. I do prayers, you know, I do devotions and all that. But why do we make that faith as the fundamental category of defining ourselves and not rationality, not not like deriving from how we have preserved this? Like when you go to um, Vedas, like if you trace Vedas as your final authority and and the, what do Vedas mandate? Vedas mandate rituals, uh, uh, Mukunda. And then what happens in the ritual? Let's go back, starting from Shuna Shepa to all the Yagya conversations. So there is a Vako Vakya, there is the dialogue. Dialogue, yeah. there, is, there is a dialogue and, and they are trying to resolve the riddles, you know, like, and they have all these riddles, like paradoxes in Greece, they were more like uh, into these riddles, and in in this, through the riddles, they were trying to solve all the metaphysical issues. So, Katibai Deva, how many gods are there? Like uh, you know, upon the conversation of Agivalka. So, yeah. these and um, uh, uh, you know, uh, even in Dirgatamas, Ekam uh, Sadvipra, Bahu Dabadanti. You know, so these 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 ideas came in uh, already in dialogical context. Yeah. And we we have to preserve when when you think of when people talk with me about preserving culture, I'm like, preserve the good thing, you know, like, a, when you say like, a, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's maybe a little uh, outrageous example. So when you are taking, uh, uh, you want to preserve your mom, you take her to hospital and not to taxidermist, you know, like yeah. to, to, you know, so the way I think what we are trying to preserve is we are taking our dying cultural, civilizational mother to some taxidermist, you know, who are going to. Oh, eat. freezer
0: in time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, this is something that uh, makes me uh, feel deeply. And, and at the end of the day, why I even am thinking this V. Marsha is, you know, I've already taught in different universities for 30 years of my life. And uh, um, that makes me feel really old, but uh, you know what to do. It's, uh, but, but knowing the limitations of the modern universities, I am talking with my gurus. Some of the modern professors in Sampudananda are my classmates when yeah. I was there. Okay, nobody can lie to me that there are no students studying anymore. It's just like all these like Kandar, like ghost towns. So no genius is coming out. And you will always have a name, okay, five people there, two people there, you know, we yeah. are talking about 1.25 billion population and, and you give me five examples to say, we have enough. And right. so even modern, and then in the West, how much modern Western universities we can expect. So, each teacher has a moral responsibility. Mukunda, the way that I cannot sleep well, um, I just want to. I know maybe I'm just going out of track. Mukunda, no, it's okay. You have to bear with me. I was like uh, in 1990, um, around the end of '90, when I was leaving Benares, and I I touched the feet of uh, Pandit Divedi with uh, full of tears, like crying. I said, Guruji, I have nothing. To give you as Guru Dakshina. Yeah. What can I offer to you? And if a student in Indian context becomes like a son, okay, they, they raised me in many regards. What Brajwal of ji does is like he himself has tears I've never seen in my life. Yeah. He himself had tears and says, Kashime Thaneshwar Panditya Parampara Marraye. The Pandit tradition is dying in Kashi, this will be a Guru gurudakshina to preserve this, okay? So we all have some obligations, my obligation from my father. When I got the job in, in Kathmandu in, in the university and I shared my, you know, the appointment later with my father, my yeah. father wrapped it up and tore it and tossed it out. And he said, like, what will happen to Guru Kula? He was not happy. He was offended that I was not going to continue something. And he saw that in times are coming because nobody wants to do Nobody wants to conserve these ideas that they they thought of great value and not he was not worried about who does the ritual he was not worried about who will be the priest these are these are again we are we are reducing the entire civilizational thinking into shaking the bells and blowing yeah. the guns you know so who will do the thinking that is that is that is what uh, Was hurting him even in a village, you know. That was what was hurting him. That will continue this line of thought. Yeah. And and that even the same thing. I mean, has that changed after being in America? No. I mean, I I have learned a lot, and I I do not think the way I used to think. I do not write the way I used to write. I used to write in Sanskrit, and I've not written in Sanskrit for a long time. Uh, But but at the same time. The, the core of my being is still the same and yeah. I still run like I, I go back to teach you know like uh, in in summers and not just to go to teach I study with my teachers even today you know I'm I mean very few of them are left because most of my teachers have already crossed over but um, but even now I am deeply connected to my teachers and and, and some of my, I'm just running a workshop for training uh, for a new research in Kathmandu. I'm, I'm going to do that through Zoom next week. And yeah. so it's like, and I did that um, a week ago and a week ago too. It's like I I am giving the best I can as a teacher and that is all I can do. And are you doing the best you can uh, not as a teacher, but whatever your discipline. I'm not asking you, Mukunda. Sure, you are sure. doing, I mean, You have shared a lot, and time you have given so much of time where you could have made a lot of money. And, I mean, bluntly put, but but that is the question for uh, the people who say we have to preserve or conserve or all. You know, like uh, when when people, because it's not about lip service. It's not about saying for the because it feels good. You know. Yeah. It is about the need uh, of a time, uh, because yes, the time is right. Some of these ideas can be revived and can be relevant, not the way they were then. Yeah, you have to. Change. It's not about the ghost, you know. It's not digging out the corpse and putting life back. <laughs> but you know, it's it's because the same way, same ideas don't work. But like uh, refining these ideas and and um, allow them to breathe again you know, give the right. life back. Right, right. And, and I agree
0: with you. Uh, you know, I think that's a beautiful thing you just said. And it's, uh, you know, um, a great place to to get to our last section. You know, we've been talking for a long time. And, you know, I love the message, right? The idea is let's not live in the, in the world of the dead. Let's live in the world of the living. Let's bring bring that, 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 that civilization, those ideas that are on life support. Don't already throw it towards, you know, uh, be made into a, a, a stuffed animal. Let's revive yeah. it and, and make it part of yeah. the way we think about the world, right? Because yeah. I will I will, I will will say this, you know, like despite me studying all these other religions and ideas, the concept of the way we think about the Atma and Brahman, I cannot find anywhere else. It's just that yeah. the, the nature of trans... I mean, everyone's... Most other religions tend to focus on identity that persists through life into... Into death right whether you're you're christian in, in life you're somehow still christian in death and and you're in heaven your personality is who you are same with in many ways but in our in our tradition it's about rising above our our identity becoming more than our limited identity of who we are as mukunda as a human being as you know a, a father or a friend or or cousin, or relationship. It's about becoming the greatest self that we already are, which yeah. is the consciousness, right? The the the, the, the greatest denominator, not yeah. the least common. The greatest denominator, and I think yeah. this this tradition, these traditions give you give us that. Now, yeah. how do we take that and bring it back into our world? And I think that's yeah. what that is. What the great work you're doing um, in in the various ways you're writing and talking and. Lecturing and thinking about these things, you know. So from that, you know, like you and all the other Acharyas and professors and teachers out there who are trying to bring that to our world, instead of just saying I'm Hindu, look how great my civilization is, and <laughs> don't talk about us. Like you're doing the work, you're putting the time, because this is effort. This nothing yeah. comes easy, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. so thank you for that. Um, and so, do you have any last things that you want to to say yeah. about that, or do you have anything you want to plug? talk about your foundation
1: or do you want to talk about- uh... So the the thing Mukunda I really want to say as a last word is um, these concerns are not my concerns as someone coming from a particular place. Mm -hmm. These concerns are not even a Hindu concern. These concerns are a civilizational concern for the sake of humanity. We have come at the crossroad where some ideas have been experimented, and all the juices it can produce have have been squeezed out. Mm -hmm. And we we have to be willing to explore different ways of thinking, and there are so many other philosophers whose ways have not been explored. It is for the sake of humanity. Yes, I bring some expertise, we all bring different expertise. Mm-hmm. When, and then I might sometimes may appear exaggerating and then the society should toss those ideas if they are tested and proven to be just I'm, I'm trying to bring a particular thing mm-hmm. to sell in the market because the world is a marketplace of ideas. but the marketplace should be play, played you know, in, on the basis of equality, equal opportunity. And there is no opportunity for us to introduce uh, with our ideas, and and this Bimarsa Mukunda would not be a Bimarsha without personally speaking, Mukunda Raghavan sehalp You know, like we are just like you start the first class and falling apart, and then you just like you, you just tapped in and then ran. But I didn't even have a chance to say like the conversation we are having, after the whole conversation, like what burns me inside, what keeps yeah. me awake during the night. It's because it's number one. These things are valuable for the sake of humanity, mm-hmm. and these things have the whole generational pundits. Like we say, Abhinav Gupta. Now, where do you go to study Abhinavagupta? You go to Navjivan Rastogi, and and then who else? I mean, tell me another pandit from from India who you can say decisively he's a greatest scholar. I mean, you know, are you kidding? My Guruji of is long dead. I mean, Ram, Ram, uh, Ram, uh, Ramji cannot teach. And Shankar Chaitanya Bharati is gone. So we don't have those masters anymore. What is the new generation? And then you have to rely on uh, all the writings of uh, Torella or Ratia or David Lawrence and, and and which is great, by the way. I'm not I'm not saying, hmm. therefore, because they come from different cultural background, therefore, you should you should actually read them and how honestly they have been writing and how sincerely for whatever the whatever the side they are they have been sincere you should read yeah. but but then the 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 idea is just being nostalgic about the past and talking about we are not be, uh, given credit or equal opportunity mm-hmm. and then these ideas need some space to survive yeah. and all these ideas today have to compete in the same marketplace where i was talking with you maybe another day that you go find one metro uh, uh, city in the globe anywhere in the world find one town where there is nobody who knows kant or heidegger you aren't going to find it yeah. find a town where there is no abhinava Guptian. every single town okay <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so and who is going to change that this is us mukunda so there therefore why i need your help is like a or, or the help of other people is not for me. I don't I don't care. You know, like I, I, I I, was dead three times. It's just not a great note to stop. But I was I was physically assaulted in the class by the Maoist. And that was one heartbreaking moment when I decided to leave Nepal. Yeah. And uh, I I was knocked down unconscious. And I was kind of, you know, hospitalized. I got my gain, my consciousness after a couple hours, they wanted to kill me. after. Even after that, I was like, uh, now my wife is the witness. But this event, was in all the newspapers in nepal because a professor was attacked in the classroom while teaching you know mm-hmm. so it's like uh, you can i can just go back and expect from nepal which is now run by the same maoist okay and then say oh civilization is in crisis this one to kill people like me so and I'm, yeah. I'm, my friend i'm 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 one of the fortunate ones because i'm living here thinking my classmate and later my colleague uh, mukti adhikari he was a principal in a village campus. He was hanged upside down and then shot by the Maoists. He died on the spot, and all the students and teachers were. If you read Sanskrit, this is what we will do to you.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, it's
1: crazy. And so, anyway, I wish I could change in something else. Uh, like you know, I didn't want this to be like around the end, but this came up. I couldn't. I couldn't control. But no, these things, these things drive me to do the best I can because I do have an obligation because they're dead and I'm still alive. Yeah. They tried to kill me and could not. Yeah. And it's not just an issue of a romantic idea of let's promote these ideas. Because if these ideas, why would people want to kill people for having these universalistic ideas? Right. You see? So this is this is not just a simple matter of a, uh, cultural conservation this is preserving the soul of being human you know sure. we have, we, in this in this sense of modern you know whatever political ideas we have lost the soul of humanity
0: yeah i agree
1: and it's a rediscovering what it means to be human right i,
0: I agree no, <laughs> no, no thank you for your time and i agree this is that's what this entire project me you know me and Ratchett starting Meru Media and being part of this is, yeah. it is the process of trying to rediscover humanity through dialogue, right, ultimately, yeah. Yeah. and, and yeah. understanding perspectives and ideas to preserve it and to bring people into the fold. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: Thank you I so must much. To thank yeah. my brother Rakshit. Okay, yeah. I mentioned you so many times, and I wouldn't even have met you without Rakshid. Yeah, that's okay? right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah so I don't want Rakshid to ever feel I don't know if you will listen to this, but Rakshit, you are in my heart all the time. <laughs> well, well, thank you,
0: Acharya, and I appreciate your time. Um, <laughs> and so, this is a, a, a great conversation. We
1: covered a lot. Uh, hopefully, you can join us again. If people want to reach us,
0: yeah. if people yeah. want to reach you, how can they reach you if they want to reach out to you?
1: i'm i'm all everywhere you can just type my name you know <laughs> like it's, it's i'm not a hidden person it's just like they can say and send a message on facebook or email me you know say, yeah. hey, many, or just contact you and then you can bug me
0: i can do that too <laughs> all
1: right well, well thank you Acharya. i appreciate your
0: time <laughs>
1: I'm
0: <speaking in foreign language>